This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Church from Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit our website at faithchurchlubbock.com. Okay, you guys know where to go. Turn in your Bible to the book of Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to start there tonight. And just to, as a refresher, as we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, remember that fruit is the evidence of what's happening on the inside. It's what people see, it's what people smell, it's what people taste, but it comes as a product of what's on the inside. If you don't have a Bible with you today and you would like one, I forgot to mention, our ushers have those, so just lift your hand up if you'd like to get the Word of God in your hands. I'm gonna go to lots of different scriptures today and it's always good to be able to look through the Word for yourself. But remember, the fruit is the evidence of what happens on the inside. Fruit tells you how healthy the tree is. If you've got diseased, mushy, bruised fruit, you know that there's something wrong on the inside of that tree. But if the fruit is delicious, crisp, juicy, you know that everything on the inside of that tree is healthy and is right. And so when everything on the inside of us is healthy and right, because the Holy Spirit is moving and working, and we're allowing the Holy Spirit to be the gardener of our hearts, then the fruit that we produce is going to be good fruit. Remember that in order to have a good fruit come out of our hearts, the soil of our hearts has to be tilled up, meaning we have to stay humble and we have to stay, stay teachable. And then we have to get a seed on the inside of us. And the seed is the word of God. That word has to be planted on the inside. And lastly, we have to let the Holy Spirit water that seed so that it grows and cultivates that fruit on the inside of us. So that was a review. We've already talked about the first five fruits, and now we're going to the fruit of goodness. And so let's look in, in Galatians 5, and we're going to start in verse 22. And Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. He goes on to say, If we're led by the Spirit, if we're living by the Spirit, then let us keep in step with the Spirit. We can't go on without the Spirit. We can't allow the Spirit to go on without us and and stay back and drag our feet. We have to keep in step with what He wants to do in us and through us. So now turn all the way back in the Old Testament to the book of Exodus. And I'm going to Exodus chapter 33. This is a story that you've probably heard, and it might be a story that you know well, This is a story that I heard so many times growing up, but there was a a day and a moment when I realized something in this and it came alive to me. And so we're in the book of Exodus, chapter 33. I'm gonna start in verse 19. It says, and he said, this is God. He said, you know, actually I'm gonna start in verse 18, so go back one verse. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he's talking to Father God. Remember that Moses is on the mountain and he's having this conversation with God Almighty. And Moses says to him, if you don't go with us, if your presence doesn't go with us, then we're staying right here in the wilderness because I don't wanna go to the promised land unless you come with me. And this is when Moses says, God, show me your glory. I wanna see the most glorious thing about you. I wanna see what makes you different. I wanna see what makes you good. And here's what, what God said back to him in verse 19. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. 
And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And, and if you think about it, it's almost like God doesn't do what Moses asked him to do. Because Moses says, God, show me your glory. And then God says, okay, here's my goodness. But you know what I think God's saying here? The most glorious thing about me is the fact that I'm good. And my goodness is, is, is my greatest quality. And so when Moses says, God, show me your glory, God says, okay, Moses, I'm gonna let you see all my goodness. And so God is good. Actually, in the book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus is talking to some religious leaders. And they come up to him and they say, good teacher. And he says, wait, why do you call me good? He said, no one is good except God, not one. And so Jesus himself said that, that all of us, we are not good, but God alone is good. And so he starts to think, wait, is this a contradiction? How, how can the, the Holy Spirit produce the fruit of goodness in us if Jesus himself said we're not good, only God is? And that's because the definition of goodness is, is twofold. And if you look in the Greek, the definition of goodness is first, uprightness in heart and life. Can you live upright in your life, in your heart, meaning in your thoughts, in your emotions? Can you live upright? Can you live righteous? But secondly, it means to be godlike in life and in conduct. That's what in the, the original word in the Greek, that's what it meant. To be good was to be godlike. And that makes perfect sense. Because if the most glorious thing about God is his goodness, and if no one is good except God, then that means the only way that we as people can have the fruit of goodness in our hearts as evidence of what's happening on the inside is if we become more like God. And in the book of Genesis, you remember God said, I created man and woman in my own image. I created them in my likeness, meaning I created them to be like me except for that we fall short, don't we? And the Bible says that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have fallen short of the goodness of God. But there's the gift of life, eternal life in Christ Jesus. And the Bible also says that we are the righteousness of God through Christ. So because of what Jesus did, we can be more like God. We can be more like Christ, but it doesn't ever happen on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to be the gardener of our hearts. We need the Holy Spirit to produce that fruit of goodness in us. Go back to your right to the book of Ephesians, back in the New Testament. In order to be more like Jesus, more like God, we need God himself living on the inside of us, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is on the inside of us when we invite him. The Bible says, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said, you then, even though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so when we ask, the Holy Spirit comes on the inside of us and goodness is one of the fruits he produces. We're in Ephesians, we're going to chapter two and verse 10. And this is what starts to reveal our purpose for being on the earth. Verse 10 says that we are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship. He crafted us, he formed us. You know that every single thing God made, he made by speaking a word. He said, let there be light, and all of a sudden there was light. 
He said, let there be grass and hills and mountains and air and space and, and birds and beasts and fish. He said, let there be. He spoke a word and it was done. But there's one exception. When he made man, the Bible says that he reached down into the dust of the ground and he formed man. And then he breathed the breath of life or breathed his spirit into man's nostrils. See, we are a personal creation of God. We are, as human beings, we are the only thing he created that he used his hands to create and that he breathed his breath into. And the Bible says we are his workmanship. Then it goes on to say that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in, him, in them. And you know what? People use this verse to say, well, that must mean that that everything is just predestined to happen a certain way. If God prepared all this beforehand, that must mean that I have no choice in the matter, really. I'm just this robot following this, this plan that somebody's put out for me. But did you catch what it said? It said, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We absolutely have a choice whether to walk in those good works or not. But this says that we were created for good works. Did you catch that? That's your purpose. God has created you for good works. That means we have a part to play. We, we absolutely cannot be good without Jesus. We can't be righteous without Jesus. We can't be more like God. We can't be more like Christ without Jesus. But when we put the work in, when we allow Jesus to work through us, then we start to fulfill our purpose and we start to walk in those good works. In the book of Genesis, chapter six, verse nine, you can turn there if you'd like, but I'm gonna get there quickly. It talks about a man named Noah. And of course, we all have heard the story of Noah from the time we were a child. But one of the things about Noah that it says in, in Genesis six, nine, it says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Noah was, some translations say he was an upright man. Remember, upright was one of the definitions of goodness. Noah was a good man. It says he was blameless in his generation, and then here's the key. Noah walked with God. How do you become more like someone? You spend a lot of time with them. Do you ever notice when you spend a lot of time with certain people, you start acting more like them, saying the things that they say? My father-in-law is from Minnesota, and he moved to Texas 35 years ago, I think, maybe more than that, I don't remember, a long time ago. And so he's lived in Texas all this time, but whenever I go back to Minnesota with him, and he's around his family, he picks up that Minnesota accent, and he starts calling things bags, and you're like, what is that? It's a bag. But he gets that accent back, because when he's around his family, when he's around his brothers and his dad and his mom, and they, they have that accent, he picks it back up, and he starts to become more like them. Same thing with God. When we get around God, when we spend time with God, we become more like God. And I think that the key that Noah walked blameless, and he was upright, and he was good, and he was righteous, was because Noah walked with God. I believe Noah spent time with God every single day. I believe he was a man of prayer. I believe he sought the face of God. And then remember that God spared Noah in the flood and used Noah's family to start this brand new world because he walked with God. And so what about you and me? Do we walk with God? Are we willing to spend time in the presence of God every day so that we become more like God, so that we walk in his goodness, and so that the fruit of goodness starts to be evident in our lives? 
You know, one of the, the greatest examples of goodness that I've seen in a person, my wife and I, my wife had a miscarriage eight years ago, and it was gonna be our first child. And I remember one of the first things that I did when we found out the news was, was I called my parents, and I told them. Of course, we were heartbroken. And I remember that my dad was at one of his client's house when I called him. And so this client, he's an older man, and he asked, what, what, what was that all about? And so my dad told him, my, my son and his wife just had a, a miscarriage, and he said, they're really brokenhearted. And so this man wrote a check and handed it to my dad, and he said, I want you to go give that to your son. And so later that night, I was at my parents' house, and I was crying in their bedroom, my wife and I both, we were so broken. And my dad handed me this check, and it was for $1,000. And when he handed it to me, I just broke out in more tears. I said, I, I don't even know this man. I've never met him before in my life. And my dad said, he just told me that he, he knew you'd be going through a hard time and that he wanted to bless you. And I, I think that's being so good, that you would be so good to somebody that you don't even know. That's the goodness of God at work through a person. That's the character of God. You know what? God gives us things that we don't deserve every single day. God's grace, and the Bible says his mercies are new every morning. God is good. And when we get to be with God and we spend more time with God, we become more like him and we get to become more good. So what good works has God created you to walk in? The only way you're gonna be able to walk in those good works is if you'll spend time with him, is if you'll walk with God just like Noah did. And when you begin to walk with God, I believe you're gonna, be, you're gonna begin to see that you're walking in good works. So the fruit of goodness, the Holy Spirit brings goodness in our hearts. And the next fruit we're gonna talk about is the fruit of faithfulness, and you can turn to Matthew chapter 25. Turning to Matthew chapter 25, let's ask ourselves some questions. Can people count on you? If you say you're gonna be somewhere, are you there? If you say you're gonna do something, do you do it? Are you dependable with your family? Are you dependable at work? Are you dependable with your boss, with your coworkers? Do people wonder what you're doing with your time or do they know they're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing? And these are all questions that we have to ask ourselves and judge ourselves and assess what is happening on the inside of our hearts. How faithful am I to what I'm supposed to be doing? Look in the book of Matthew chapter 25, we're gonna start in verse 14 and we're gonna read several verses. So Jesus here, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And he says, for it, meaning the kingdom, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. So whose property is it? It's the master's property. But he entrusts it to these servants. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. So first thing we see is that, that the kingdom of heaven, God's not a micromanager. God trusts us as his servants to do what he's called us to do, to do what he, he desires for us to do. We also realize that he gives each one according to their ability. Not everybody got the same thing. I've said this before, I believe it, God is not a socialist. He didn't give everybody the exact same amount, he gave them according to their ability. And so one got five talents, one got four, one got, one got two, and one got one. Now a talent in those times represented a large sum of money. So even the person that got one talent was given a huge responsibility. 
And so we keep going, verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Just in case you didn't know whose money this is, it tells us again, this is the master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and he settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. And this is really where we want to get tonight. Verse 21 says, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you or make you a ruler over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So what, did he, what was he commended for? He was commended for one thing, that he was faithful. He, God said, you, or the master said, you've been faithful with what I gave you, which was little. Now I'm gonna make you a ruler over much. He was commended for his faithfulness. He did what he was supposed to be doing even when nobody was watching him, even when his master was away, he was faithful. And then the same thing takes place with the one who had the two talents. He brings a two talents more and the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. And we're gonna skip down to verse 24. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you, did not, where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant or lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered, scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest." So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he, who, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the, the servants who were faithful, he said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter to the joy of your master. But to the one who was lazy, to the one who wasn't faithful, to the one who didn't know the character of his master, to the one that did nothing with what he had been given, he was cast into outer darkness, and he was called wicked and lazy and slothful. See, faithfulness is a big deal to Jesus. Faithfulness in us, his people, his servants, is a huge deal. I mean, think of Adam and Eve. He puts them in charge over this entire garden and says, you can eat any tree that you want, but I'm gonna ask you to do one thing, don't eat from this particular tree. And then he expects them to be faithful to what he's called them to do. Now, what's the only thing we can do when we have not been faithful? You can't go back and change the past. You can't change the things that you've done. You can't change the things that you've said. You can't change the things that you've not done. But you can repent. And you can get back up and you can try again. And you can keep sh showing the Lord, I, I wanna be faithful. So repent when you blow it and go back to being faithful. See, we serve a faithful God. All of the fruits of the Spirit, these are the character and the nature of God and we serve a God who's faithful to us. And he asks us as his servants to be faithful with what he's given us. We have to shift our mindset 
In Psalms chapter 24, verse one, it says that for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Meaning we are God's, our, our resources are God's, our children are God's, our spouses are God's. Everything that we have, everything that we see, everything that we are, it is all God's. And so if you are the owner of what you have, like if the money in my pocket, if I'm the owner of that, I'm not accountable to anybody for what I do with it because it's mine, right? I get to do what I want because it's my money. But if you shift your mindset and view yourself appropriately, which is that you are a steward, or we don't use that word much anymore, but it's like a manager. I'm a manager of what is God's, and I am accountable to the one that owns it all. I'm accountable with what I do with my time. I'm accountable to what I do with my, my finances. I'm accountable with how I raise my children. I'm held accountable to all of those things because I am a manager, and I'm taking care of someone else's property. I'm taking care of what is Father God's. And I love in Matthew 25, the parable that we read, how often and how many times it says it was the master's money. When he's talking to the lazy servant, he said, you took what was mine. I should have got what was my own with interest. I mean, it's like he makes sure we understand this, this, these talents, they weren't the servants. They were the masters, and the servants were managers of what was his. And so we shift our mindset. I'm not the owner. I'm a manager, and I'm accountable to the owner for what I do with his resources. Amen? I think the greatest picture of faithfulness in the Bible, there's many, but one of the greatest pictures of faithfulness in the Bible is Joseph. And you can read about Joseph in the book of Genesis. But over and over and over, things happen to him that you could say, that shouldn't have happened. You know what, I think that, that things have happened to people and they've said, how can God be good if this and this and this happens? But Joseph never had that attitude. He continued to be faithful. He was faithful when he was in the pit. And he was faithful when he was a slave in Potiphar's house. Remember that Potiphar's wife came to him and asked, her, asked him to sleep with her? And he said no. He remained faithful to his master even when nobody else would have ever known. And he ran from her. And then he gets put in prison wrongfully and he remains faithful. And then he gets forgotten while he's in prison and he remains faithful. And then finally, after all of the hardship that he endured through his life, he remained faithful and he became the second in command in the nation of Egypt. Because God rewards faithfulness. And when we are faithful with little, he makes us ruler over much. So judge yourself, grade yourself on how faithful you've been at work. How faithful have you been with your family? How faithful have you been with your finances, with your resources? And if you would say, I get an F minus, then repent and start again and start being faithful today. Remember, we can't on our own. Faithfulness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit and it's evidence that he's working in our hearts. And the last fruit we're gonna talk about tonight is the fruit of gentleness. Turn to Titus chapter three. The book of Titus is a small book, right before Philemon, which is right before Hebrews. We're gonna be in Titus chapter three. We're gonna start in verse one. So I think that gentleness is one of the toughest characteristics to possess in our nation and in our world because people don't, don't wanna be gentle. Gentleness is not a natural human characteristic. It's not a natural human tendency. But we're gonna see the fruit of gentleness tonight. So this is Titus chapter three. We're gonna read verse one and two. It says, remind them 
to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. That's a high calling. Because if, if I'm gonna show perfect courtesy to all people, and if I'm gonna be gentle all the time, then that means the, the checker that's really, really slow at Walmart, I need to be gentle towards her. And the person that cuts me off in traffic, if I'm gonna be walking perfect court courtesy towards all people, I need to be gentle towards them, even though they'll never hear those things I said about them. This means that, that I have to be gentle towards my children, gentle towards my spouse, gentle towards my coworkers and my boss, even when they're not around. This means I need to walk in gentleness towards those people who have spread rumors about me. And it means I need to walk in gentleness towards those people who have wronged me. And it means I need to walk in gentleness towards those people who have either hurt me or hurt one of my family members. And a lot of times when someone hurts us, we, we think or we say things like, if it's the last thing I'll do, I'll get back at them. And we think they're gonna wish they never messed with me or my kids or my family or my wife. And oftentimes when people treat us a certain way, that gentleness just melts off of us and we're, we're left with this rough, abrasive, unkind, ungentle demeanor. But this says to walk in perfect courtesy towards all people. Do all people deserve our courtesy? Absolutely not. Do you deserve the blood of Jesus? Absolutely not. And I think that Jesus was the perfect example of gentleness. I remember the story of, of the woman who was caught in adultery. You, you can sense the gentleness of our Savior in that story. Whenever, whenever they, were, they brought her to Jesus and they threw him at his feet, and they said, she was caught in the act of adultery. And remember, he was gentle even towards them. And he said, okay, you who are without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. And so it says, one by one, starting with the oldest, they left. And when it was just Jesus and the woman, he leans down and he picks her up and he says, where are your accusers? She says, there's no one, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Now remember, he was perfect. He was sinless. He was the only one there that could have cast a stone at her, but he treated her with gentleness. And he said, now go and sin no more. Jesus was a gentle man. Does that mean he was weak? Absolutely not. Remember when they, when they hung him on the cross and they had just spent the day beating him and he received the 39 lashes on his back and they mocked him and they spat on him and they ripped out his beard and they put the crown of thorn on his head and they treated him with contempt and what was his response? While he was hanging up on the cross, dying at the hands of people that he himself had created, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Because our Lord is a gentle God. And we're called to be gentle. And we're called to be courteous towards all people. Because Jesus was courteous and gentle towards all people. In the King James Version, the fruits of the Spirit read a little bit differently. And the fruit of gentleness is read in the King James Version as meekness. And to be meek in the original Greek language, that was signifying like a, a bridle in the horse's mouth, a bit in the horse's mouth. It was power under constraint. See, the horse still has to choose when you pull the reins one way or the other, 
the horse still makes the choice to go that direction. A horse is a powerful animal, but it's controlled by the person holding the reins. And that's what meekness is like. You're allowing yourself to be controlled or to be led by the Holy Spirit. It's not that you're weak. It's not that you're powerless. It's that you have power under constraint. That you're allowing your life to be guided, led, to be, to be led by the Holy Spirit and that Jesus is leading you. Sometimes it's helpful in, in defining a word if you can look at the opposite. And so the opposite of being meek is somebody who's self-serving, somebody who's self-promoting, somebody who's always trying to get ahead, somebody who's always trying to be the best. That person is, is the opposite of a meek person. And I found this, this wonderful description of being meek towards God. And it says, it's a disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good. And therefore, without disputing, without resisting. It says, the meek are those wholly relying on God rather than on their own strength to defend against injustice. Gentleness or meekness is the opposite of self-assertiveness and self-interest. It stems from trust in God's goodness and control over the situation. The gentle person is not occupied with self at all. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, not of the human will. So to be gentle means I'm not self-serving. It means I'm serving of others. Just like Jesus when he washed his disciples' feet. So in the kingdom of God, remember, Jesus himself said, in my kingdom, the last will be first. He, he showed us how to lead by serving others. And it almost seems counterintuitive, but it's how the kingdom works. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 5, that the meek will inherit the earth. So be gentle, be meek. I worked, about 10 years ago, I was a car salesman, a used car salesman, and I worked with a guy who was also a Christian. And he was one of the most gentle men I had ever met, which doesn't really fit the typical used car salesman demeanor. But when customers would come in, and they would be so angry if, if they, you know, people say, I got a lemon, you sold me a lemon. They would come in screaming and cussing and yelling. And he would remain gentle. He, he, he told me, you know what Proverbs, Proverbs 15, one says that a gentle answer turns away wrath. And so these people would come in screaming at him and he would say, I'm, I'm so sorry for how you felt. I'm so sorry that you feel that way. That wasn't our intent at all. Hey, take a seat. Do you like a bottle of water? Let me talk to our manager. We'll figure out what we can do for you. And he, every answer, he would answer them with gentleness. He never got riled up. He never got angry with them. And I saw Proverbs 15:1 work in that man, that his gentle answers turned away those people's wrath. That when he was gentle with them, when he was kind to them, when he treated them with courtesy, it melted away their anger. And it melted away the hardness of their hearts. And I've never forgotten that. Earlier today, I felt like the, the Holy Spirit was leading me to, uh, to have you respond in something. So if, you would, if you'd stand up on your feet, and Pastor Solomon, you can come up. You were really ready. <laughs> Thank you. So today we talked about the fruits of the Spirit that we need in our hearts. But one thing that we talked about that I, I think there's people in this room that struggle with because God really put this on my heart. 
was the fact that God is good. And you heard me say that the most glorious thing about God is his goodness. Because when Moses asked, show me your glory, God said, okay, I'll let you see all my goodness. And as human beings, we go through things that, that cause us to doubt that God is good. And we say, how could God be good if I had to go through that? How could God be good if they weren't healed and if they're now dead? How could God be good if, if I went bankrupt? How could God be good if he didn't come through for me here or he didn't come through for me there? I told you earlier my, about my wife and I, my, our miscarriage. And I remember we had a week. The, the doctor had told us we think something's wrong and there was a week between then and our next appointment where we found out that it was a miscarriage. And I remember never praying so hard in my whole life. I remember for that week I spoke the word, I prayed, I begged God to save my child. And when I got to that appointment, the news wasn't good. And I had a choice to make in that moment. Do I believe that even though this situation isn't good, that God still is? And, and I've never gone through heartache and pain like I did in those weeks and months after that situation happened to us. But I can stand before you and say that God is good. I can tell you that I've tasted and I've seen that the Lord is good, that I've experienced his goodness every day. And you know what? I don't know what all he's going to do out of that situation, but I do know that I worked with a lady when I was teaching school. And she had a miscarriage about a year after we did. And then she had another miscarriage. And then she had another miscarriage. And my wife was working at the school with me at the time. And so I, I told my wife about it and I said, you've got to talk to her. When my wife talked to her and helped her through it, she looked at my wife and said, you're the only one that's understood me. She said, I don't know what I would do unless I would have had you to talk to. She said, my family's just blowing it off. They don't think it's that big of a deal. My husband isn't really there for me. But she said, thank you that you understood me. And so the Lord took what the enemy meant for evil and he used it for the good of that lady that I worked with. And, and I don't think he's done doing good things from that situation. We serve a God, and he says, I will work together all things for the good of those who love me and who are called according to my purpose. You serve a God who's good. And so if you're in this room and you've thought, I don't know if God's good, or you've even said God's not good because of something I've gone through, would you do something bold? And would you just come down to the front here and let us lay hands on you and pray for you? and pray and believe the goodness of God over you. Is there anybody like that in this room tonight? Hey, if we have any prayer team members, could you guys come down and lay hands on these guys? I want you, all of y'all to know something. I would never discredit what you've gone through because what you've gone through isn't good. What you've gone through is hard, is painful, and I've experienced things like that, but God is good, and God has a plan, 
And sometimes it, it takes us trusting in his goodness when we can't see it. It takes a, a knowing deep in our spirit that he is good. And I believe tonight we're gonna pray over you. And I believe that as our prayer team members lay their hands on you, that you're going to experience the goodness of God. And so I'm just gonna let them pray over you while Pastor Solomon sings this chorus. And for the rest of you guys, would you worship with us and, and continue, pray over these ones, stretch your hands out towards them, and let's believe the goodness of God to rest on this place for just a minute. Thank you once again for joining us on this podcast. To check out more services from Faith Church, you can find our live broadcast on YouTube or check out our website at faithchurchlubbock.com for more information on upcoming events, how to give, and how you can get involved.